Star Wars, The Han Solo Adventures by Brian Daly, read by Alec Bowles. Han Solo and the Lost Legacy Eight. It's a lame-brained scheme, even for you, Hasty was saying. Han peered into the grayness and wished Badur would return. The drizzle had become a freezing cold downpour during the night, then slackened to a drizzle again. Han and the others awaiting the old man had taken shelter under a tarp behind piles of cargo in a broad-eaved wooden warehouse by the docks. They were sipping sparingly from the flask, which had remained clipped to Han's gun belt throughout the night's action. They were damp, bedraggled, and miserable. Han's hair was plastered flat against his skull, as was Hasty's. Drops fell from Skinks's matted wool, and Chewbacca's pelt had started exuding the peculiar odor of a wet wookie. Han reached out and patted his friend's head in a gesture of consolation, wishing there was something he could do for Bollocks and Max. The two automata, abiding patiently, were worried that their moisture-proofing would fail. You haven't got a prayer of pulling this off, Solo, the girl finished. He swiped a damp strand of hair off his forehead. Then don't come along. There'll be another ship through here any year now. A man in a shabby cloak appeared, splashing through the puddles, bearing a bundle on his shoulder. Han, his blaster scope set for night shooting, identified Badur. The old man crouched with them under the tarp. Having acquired a cloak from an alley sleeper, he had contrived to buy four more. Han and Hasty found that two fit them passably well, and even Bollocks could don one stiffly, unaccustomed as he was to the extraordinary feel of clothing. But the biggest cloak Badur had bought could barely contain Chewbacca. Though its hood managed to cover his face from casual observation, his shaggy arms and legs stuck out. Maybe we could wrap him in bunting, like mittens and leggings, Badur suggested, then turned to Skinks. I didn't forget you, my dear professor. With a flourish, he produced a shoulder bag, which he held open invitingly. Skinks shrank back, antennae wobbling in dismay. Surely you can't mean. This is unacceptable. Just until we're out of town, Han coaxed. Um... About that, son, Badur said. Maybe we should lie low a while instead. Do what you feel like. This could be a bad hike, but they're probably tearing the Falcon apart at that mining camp. Then what's the point in going? Hasty remonstrated. It's a couple of hundred kilometers. Your ship will be in pieces. Then I'll put her back together again, he near hollered, then calmed. Besides, how did Juwok and company show up so fast unless she's got contacts here? We'd be sitting targets, not even to mention the average citizen's dislike of off-worlders. We could end up bunking in the local slams. Badur looked resigned. Then it's the heel and toe express for us. The rain was letting up, the sky lightening. Hans studied the chart readout he had picked up. It turned out to contain a complete survey map of the planet, dated but in exacting detail. 
At least we had the good luck to get this. Hasty sniffed. You spacers and mariners and aviators are all alike. No religion, but plenty of superstition. Always ready to invoke luck. To forestall another verbal skirmish, Badur jumped in. The first thing is to get across the lake. There are no connections south on this side. No air service anywhere, but there's some ground transport over there somewhere. The only way across is a ferry service run by the natives, the swimmers. They're jealous of their territory and they charge a fee. Han wasn't sure he wanted to be transported by one of the seropteroids, the swimming people of Dalalt. We could hike around the lake, he proposed. It would take us five or six extra days unless we could negotiate a vehicle or get our hands on some riding animals. Let's check the ferry. What about food and equipment? Madur looked askance. What about lovely ladies and hot food? There'll be settlements along the way. We'll have to improvise. He blew his breath out and it crystallized. Are you coming or staying? Han asked Hasty. She gave him a scalding glare. Why bother asking? You'll lean on people until there's no choice left. The moderately safe and comfortable adventure envisioned by skinks had become a very real struggle for survival. But this Rurian practicality made his decision simple. I believe I'll remain with you, Captain, he said. Han almost laughed, but Skinks's simple tone of pragmatism and self-preservation lifted his opinion of the Rurian a notch. Glad to have you. All right, down to the docks and across the lake. Skinks crawled unwillingly into the bag, which Chewbacca then shouldered. They proceeded in a tight group with Vidur in the lead and Hasty and Han on the flanks. The Wookiee and Bollocks kept to the middle of the group in hopes that in the poor light and rain they would be mistaken for humans, one extremely tall, the other barrel-chested. Skinks poked his head out of the bag, feathery antennae thrashing. Captain, it smells awful in here, and it's cramped. Han pushed him back down, then, as an afterthought, gave him the flask. The docks and their moored embarkation floats were already busy. Leaving the others in the partial concealment of stacks of cargo, Han and Badur went to inquire about passage. Though the docks had space for many of the tow rafts used by Dalalt's native seropteroids, only the middle area seemed busy. Then, scanning the scene, Han saw one lonely raft off to the right. Though Badur had briefly described the swimmers, Han still found them a startling sight. Men were loading cargo aboard the tow rafts, which were tied at the embarkation floats. Tow lines and harnesses bobbed as the rafts waded in the water. Behind them lazed twenty or so seropteroids, circling or treading water with flipper strokes of immense power. They ranged from ten to fifteen meters in length, their heads held high from the water on long, muscular necks as they moved in the lake. Their hides varied from a light gray to a deep green-black. Lacking nostrils, they had blowholes at the tops of their long skulls. They idled, waiting for the men ashore to complete the manual labor. One of the men, 
a burly individual with a jeweled ring in one ear and bits of food and droplets of breakfast nectar in his beard, was checking cargo against a manifest. As Badur explained their needs, he listened, playing with his stylus. You will have to talk money with the top bull, he informed them with a smirk Han didn't like, then called out, Ho, Kassarax! Two seeking passage here! He returned to his work as if the two men no longer existed. Han and Badur went to the dock's edge and stepped onto an embarkation float. A seropteroid approached with a few beats of his flippers. Han surreptitiously moved his hand closer to his concealed blaster. He was ill at ease at seeing Kassarax's size and his hard, narrow head with its fangs longer than a man's forearm. Kassarax trod water next to the float. When he spoke, the blast of sound and fishy breath made both men fall back a bit. His pronunciation was distorted but intelligible. Passage is forty dreet, the creature announced. A hefty sum in Dolotian currency. Each. And don't bother haggling. We don't fancy that down here at the docks. Kassarax blew a spout of condensing moisture out the blowhole in his head to punctuate the statement. What about the others? Han murmured to Badur, indicating the rest of the seropteroid pack. But Kassarax caught Han's query and hissed like a pressure valve. They do as I say. And I say, you cross for forty dreet. He fainted, as if he were going to strike. A snakish movement that rocked the float with turbulence. Han and Badur scrambled onto the dock as the men there guffawed. The man with a manifest approached. I'm chief of Kassarax's shore gang. You may pay me. Han, red in the face, was growing more furious by the moment at this high-handed treatment. But Badur, glancing toward the lone raft they had noticed earlier, asked, What about him? A lone swimmer was down there. A big, battle-torn old bull, watching events silently. The shore gang chief forgot his laughter. If you enjoy living, ignore him. Only Kassarax's pack plies this part of the lake. Still fuming, Han strode down the dock. Badur followed after a moment's indecision. The shore gang chief called, I give you fair warning, strangers. The old bull reared up a bit as they approached. He was the size of Kassarax, his hide a near black, networked with scars. His left eye was gone lost in a long-ago battle, and his flippers were notched and bitten. But when he opened his mouth, his tremendous fangs gleamed like honed weapons. Your new face is to the docks, he said in a whistling voice. We want to get across the lake, Han began, but we can't meet Kassarax's price. Once, human, I'd have told you across as quickly as you please, and carefully, too, for eight dreet each. Han was about to accept when the creature cut him off, but today I tow for free. Why? Han and Badur asked together. The bull made a burbling sound that they took to be a laugh and shot a blast from his blowhole. I, Shazin, have vowed to show Kassarax that any of the swimming people are free to work this dock like any other. 
but I need passengers, and Casarax's shore gang keeps those away. The shore gang was gathered in conference, grouped in a knot of perhaps twenty, and shooting murderous looks at Han, Badur, and Shazin. Can you meet us somewhere farther down the shore? Han asked the native Dalalshan. Shazin reared, water streaming from his black back, looking like some primitive's war god. Boarding here at the dock is the whole point. Do that, and I will do the rest. Nor will any of the swimming people meddle with you. It's Shazin they must deal with. That is our law, which not even Kasarax dares ignore. Badur pulled thoughtfully at his lower lip. We might go around the lake. Han shook his head. In how many days? He turned to Shazin. There are a couple more passengers. We'll be right back. If they menace you on the docks, I cannot interfere, Shazin warned. That is the law, but they won't dare use weapons unless you do, for fear the other humans, the ones who've been driven from their jobs, will have cause to intercede. Badur clapped Han's shoulder. I could stand a little cruise right now, Slick. Han gave him a wicked grin. They started back. The others were standing where they had been left. Hasty held a large cone of plasform that contained a mass of lumpy, pasty dough, which she and Chewbacca were eating with their fingers. She offered some to Badur and Han. We were starving. I picked this up from a vendor. What's the plan? Badur explained as they shared the doughy stuff. It was thick and gluey, but had a pleasing flavor, like nut meat. So finished Han. No shooting unless we have to. How skinks? The Wookiee chortled and held open the shoulder bag. The Rurian lay in a near circle, clutching the flask. When he saw Han, his faceted red eyes, which were somewhat glazed, grew wider. Skinks hiccuped, then chirped. You old pirate! Where have you been? He flicked an antenna across Han's nose, then collapsed in chittering laughter. Oh, great, said Han. He's tight as a scalp tick. Han tried to recapture the flask, but Skinks curled into a ball and was gripping it with four limb sets. He said he's never metabolized that much ethanol before, said Hasty, looking slightly amused. That's exactly how he said it. Keep it then, Han told Skinks, but stay down. We're going for a ride. Skinks' muffled voice came from the shoulder bag. Perfect idea! They made their way back to the dock. Men from Kassarax's shore gang blocked their way to the embarkation float. Others, not of the gang, had appeared and leaned against walls or stacked cargo carrying spring guns, firearms, and makeshift weapons. Han remembered what Shazin had said. These people had been forced out of a living by Kassarax's racket. None had been willing to risk riding with Shazin, but they would see to it no weapons were used to keep Han's party from doing so. The rest of the shore gang was scattered around the docks, holding weapons of their own. As Han understood it, any shooting would trigger a general bloodbath, but anything short of that was allowable. When Han was within a few paces, 
The shore gang chief addressed him. That's close enough. Several of his men were whispering among themselves, seeing the size of the cloaked and hooded Chewbacca. Han moved closer, giving out a string of bland cordialities. He had the impression that the man was a good brawler and thought, victory first, questions later. The chief reached to shove him back with a warning. I'm not telling you again, stranger. How right, agreed Han silently. He speed drew, blindingly fast, and placed his gun against the chief's head. The man was shoving and warning one instant, falling the next with a look of surprise on his face. Han had time to backhand another man and give the shore gang chief a stiff shove. Such was the surprise he had generated. Then he had to duck a truncheon, and the scene erupted. One young shore gang member swung an eager one-two combination at bollocks, a short set-up jab and a long uppercut that would have done considerable damage to a human, but the youth's fist gonged off the droid's hard midsection and rebounded from his reinforced faceplate. As the boy cried out in agony, Hasty stepped around Bollocks and brought the barrel of her gun down on his head. Another shore gangster reached for Han, who was otherwise occupied. So Badur stopped him with a forearm block and lashed out with his foot, kicking high and hard. His antagonist dropped. They had done well enough for the moment, but now the rest of the shore gangsters pressed in vengefully. Then Chewbacca joined the brawl. The Wookiee had stepped back to shuck the shoulder bag and put Skinks out of danger and to lay down his bowcaster. His hood still pulled low, he selected two men, shook them hard, then hurled them up and back in either direction. A swing of one long arm brushed another man back off the dock. Chewbacca kicked out in the opposite direction, connecting with a man who had lunged at hasty. The man flew sideways, tumbled twice, and stretched out full length on the dock. Two men tackled the Wookiee from either side. He ignored them, his legs as sturdy as columns beneath him. He struck out all around him, felling opponents with each blow. The fight raged around Chewbacca, a flock of flailing, desperate shore gangsters swarming at him. Spoiling for a fight, since he had been downed by Egame Foss's treacherous attack, the Wookiee obliged them. Bodies flew back, up, over. The Millennium Falcon's first mate restrained himself to spare needless bloodshed. His companions found themselves left out of the riot with only occasional assistance to be rendered in the form of a tap on the head, a shove, or a shouted warning. Chewbacca found time to give each of his legs a shake, and the men straining at them were flung loose. Those who remained standing made a concerted charge. The Wookiee spread his arms, scooping up all three of them and dashed them against the dock. One of them, the gang chief, who had recovered from Han's blow and re-entered the fight, pulled a punch dagger from a forearm sheath. Han angled for a clear shot then, whatever the consequences. But Chewbacca caught the chief's movement. The Wookiee's head snapped around, his hood falling back for the first time, and he unleashed a full-throated roar into the shore gang chief's face, drawing his lips back off his jutting fangs. The chief turned absolutely white, eyes bulging, and managed to produce the smallest of squeaks. His punch dagger fell from limp fingers. 
The snarling Wookiee, having attended to all the others, set the man down and put one forefinger against his chest. The chief fell backward to the deck, trying to draw breath. Hasty grabbed Chewbacca's bowcaster and her dropped cone of dough. But Dur held the sack containing skinks, from which emerged chitters of hilarity. Han grabbed his partner's arm. Gangplank's going up. They dashed for the embarkation float, hopping one by one to the tow raft. Shazin, who had watched the whole encounter, loosed a blast from his blowhole. Closing a nictitating membrane over his eye, he ducked beneath the water to reemerge with his head through the tow harness, commanding, Cast off! Badur, last in line, brought the raft's painter with him. They had expected Shazin to move off quickly, but the swimmer warped the raft out slowly. When he had put a few dozen meters between the raft and the dock, he slipped the tow harness by submerging, then resurfaced to nudge it to a stop with his rock-like snout. That was some fine thumping, he hailed. Throwing his head back, he issued an oscillating call that rolled across the water. Shazin salutes you! he clarified. Uh, thanks? Han replied dubiously. What's the holdup? We wait for cataracts, Shazin answered serenely. Han's outburst was forestalled when another sauropteroid surfaced next to Shazin, whistling and hissing with mouth and blowhole. Use their language, woman, Shazin chided the newcomer, who was smaller and lighter of hide, but nearly as battle-scarred as the big bull. These are Shazin's friends. That pipsqueak there with the hairy face can really thump, can't he? The female switched to standard. Will you really oppose Kassarax? No one tells Shazin where he may or may not swim, replied the other creature. Then the rest of us are behind you, she answered. We'll keep Kassarax's followers out of it. The lake water swirled as it closed over her head. Drop anchor, shouted Han. Cut the power. Cancel the reservations. You never said anything about a face-off. A race. A mere formality, assured Shazin. Kassarax must pretend now that it's a right-of-way dispute to conform with the law. If he can get passengers... Hasty broke in. Look! Kassarax was having trouble getting any of his shore gang aboard his tow raft. The clash at the dock had put doubt in them. Now they were having second thoughts about being dragged into the middle of a swimmer dispute. Their chief, too, hesitated. Kassarax lost his temper and thrashed himself up over his tow raft, half onto the dock. Men drew back from the enormous bulk and the steaming, gaping mouth. Kassarax bent down at the chief. You'll do as I say. There's nowhere you can hide from me, even in that shelter you built under your house. If you make me, I'll dig you out like a stone shell from the lake bottom. And the whole time, you'll hear me coming. The shore gang's chief's nerve broke. White-faced, he scurried aboard the tow raft, pulling along several unwilling followers and browbeating several others to accompany him. 
Mighty persuasive lad, that nephew of mine, reflected Shazin. Nephew? Hasty burst out. That's right. For years and years, I whipped every challenger who came along, but I finally got tired of being top bull. I drifted north where it's warm and the fish are fat and tasty. Cassarax has been running wild too long. Partly my fault. I think shore folks put this takeover nonsense into his head, though. Another victory for progress, Badur murmured. Cassarax was nudging his tow raft up even with Shazin's. Anyway, don't worry, Shazin told them. The swimming people won't attack you. So don't use your weapons on them, or you'll turn it into a death matter. That's the law. What about the other humans? Han called, but too late. Shazin had gone to confront Cassarax. The shore gang members had brought along their harpoon spring guns and a variety of dockside cutlery. The two bulls churned the water, trumpeting to one another. At length, Shazin switched to human speech. Stay clear of my course. And you from mine, Cassarax retorted. They both plunged for their tow rafts, flippers beating with full force, diving for their harnesses and creating rolling swells. They reemerged with heads through harnesses and snapped the towing hawsers taut. The hawsers creaked with the strain, wringing the water from them. Water gushed up from the raft's blunt blows, breaking in spray and foam. Everyone on both rafts fell to the deck, snatching frantically for a handhold. Kassarax and Shazin breasted the water neck and neck, shrilling challenges to one another. Han began to wonder whether a hike around the lake wouldn't have been a better idea after all. Why do I always think of these things too late? 